Hello and welcome to the Around the Nation podcast for the week of Monday, November 7th, 2011. I'm Pat Coleman. And I'm Keith McMillan. And there's one week left of the uh, Division Three football regular season, and a lot of the uh, a lot of the automatic bids have already been locked up as we are through ten weeks. A thriller of a week ten, which uh, I would have to say, Keith, pretty much lived up to all the hype that we've been giving it ever since uh, we noticed it about oh maybe midway through September. How many great games there were this week? And, I, and I'd have to say, Keith, I think one of the one of the best ones was one that maybe uh, we didn't necessarily look at. Certainly not. Back in September, uh, this game gained in importance as the season went on, but uh, ended up a thriller and uh, probably one that Mount Union fans will remember for uh, quite some time as they uh, rallied to defeat Baldwin Wallace on Saturday, twenty-five to twenty. You know, for any other school, a a drive like that that goes down, you know, you win the game with uh, or you catch the winning touchdown pass with two minutes fourteen seconds left. Uh, and you win the conference title. That's that's an epic drive in the history of your program. And and because it was Mount Union's twentieth OAC championship in a row, and and they clinched the the playoff spot for the twenty third time, um, it, it, it maybe I guess nationally it doesn't take on as much importance. You know, you you alluded to it. We kind of glaze over Mount Union's big games because they've made a habit over the years of of turning those big games into blowouts, laughers. And in a week like like we had on on Saturday, a weekend. Um, where there's really literally maybe 20 or, or 30 games of interest. And, you know, both you and I were, were in front of the computer on, on Saturday uh, or, or, or in front of the smartphone or wherever the case may be, looking at as many games as possible. You know, it, it almost made sense to not go to a game because there were so many games to pay attention to. Uh, you forget about the Mountain Union game because you're just so, so used to, or at least I'll just speak for myself, so used to over the years that game not being competitive. And it's great when it is competitive. And in this case, it turned out to be even better because Baldwin Wallace took the lead late in the fourth quarter. And there really was a, a serious possibility that that Mountain Union would lose a regular season game for the first time since uh, 2005. Yeah, Baldwin Wallace, in fact, had... Uh... Had, had taken this lead on a uh, on a drive run by their backup quarterback. The uh, the starter Ryan O'Rourke had gotten banged up, came out of the game, and the uh, the backup went into the game. Andrew Dzak uh, and actually had some success moving the ball. He doesn't he's not a passer. He's a uh, primarily a running quarterback. But uh, they were moving the ball on Mount Union with a uh, you know with a chance to to go ahead. O'Rourke. Um, you know, was was ready to go back into the game as that drive was going on, and was standing on the sidelines waiting to go in, and uh, never uh, never did until uh, they needed him to throw the ball in the two minute drill a, a couple of minutes later. So ball in the Wallace goes down, takes a uh, takes a twenty to nineteen lead as uh, Dizak, uh brings it in from one yard out. Uh, it was a fifteen play drive, took up seven and a half minutes, just kind of a, a gut wrenching drive to listen to, and then. Um, so uh, they go for the two-point conversion to try to go up by three, and uh, and the uh, and the two-point conversion fails. So Mount Union takes over, and uh, you know remember kind of what what we talked about last week. First of all, uh, Neil Seaman is hurt. He's the uh, the guy who's been the the number one quarterback for Mount Union for uh, for two years now, or, or a year plus. Um, Matt Pilato had remember started the uh, Stag Bowl last year because uh, Seaman was injured. It wasn't very experienced then. Had been getting some, uh, been getting some snaps and, and playing as a uh, as a secondary quarterback for the Purple Raiders for most of the season. And he's the guy. He's the now. He's the he's the starter. Um, you know, the, he's but he's working without one of his primary offensive weapons. Jasper Collins hasn't played uh, for two weeks running now, and uh, you know had only one catch uh, against Otterbein. Um, 
And on the opposite side of the ball, one of their big contributors uh, at cornerback, Chaz Jordan, uh, has been out as well. And this is a this is a Mountain Union team that is not uh, really possessed of all its offensive weapons right now. No, I, I, they're not at full strength. And and part of what made that that final drive so amazing is is it, it was led by uh, by Matt Pilato, you know, instead of Neil Seaman. And all all season, as you mentioned, Pat, been been sort of. Um, Waiting for one of them to emerge, and I, and I, this was you know Matt Pilato's moment. Completes a um, you know seven yard pass to, to AJ Claycomb on on the third and six on that drive, and then heaves the uh, the touchdown pass to Chris Denton, who who had to go over two guys to get the catch. And and, and the picture is on the site, and I'm sure there's video of it somewhere yes. uh, for Mount Union to get the to get the lead with uh, with two fourteen left. And then Pat, you know, I, I, as you mentioned, um, Ryan O'Rourke had been waiting to get in and ball with Wallace's uh, big drive though. So then they actually went back to him uh, and, uh, and he completes a uh, fourth and 25 pass on that drive. So it was just a, a really a finish for the ages and it, uh, you know, worked out in Mount Union's favor. And, and that just another reason why those, th- those guys are always ranked number one or number two, because whenever they need a clutch play or a clutch drive, they always manage to come up with it. Yeah. People are going to talk uh, and have been talking about the, uh, the, the, the pass interference that wasn't called on fourth and one at the Mountain Union 32 on Baldwin Wallace's last play of the game. Um, you know, having looked at the, the video highlights, uh, we only get one angle on it, but it seems pretty clear to me and, and everybody, uh, you know, that, uh, that we have heard of who saw slow motion replay uh, tends to agree with the, uh, the assessment that it was, uh, that it should have been pass interference. And I'm going to say, you know, uh, pass interference at the 32 gives them uh, the ball at the 17 with 10 seconds left. Field goal is not an option. Uh, Baldwin Wallace has a timeout left. We're still asking an awful lot for, uh, you know, for, for um, a team that, you know, did move the ball to the 32-yard line but really struggled in the process of doing it, um, you know, with a, uh, with a, a couple of incomplete passes, uh, some penalty situations. It just it was, a, it was an odd uh, nine-play, 38-yard drive for Baldwin-Wallace to that point. I, I, I don't think you can really hang the hat on Baldwin-Wallace should have won this game. Um, they, they probably had a shot at the end zone uh, owed to them, but that's a, that's a, there's a, it's a big gap between that and should have won the ballgame. Well, I, I agree with you, Pat, in the sense that if, if anybody from Baldwin-Wallace is looking at that last play and saying that's what cost them the game, and I'm sure nobody's saying that exactly that, but you know, you, you, you can't have tunnel vision and focusing on that. They had they had their chance. They they took the lead with five fifty-three left and all they needed was one epic uh series by their defense and, and really it was it was the Mount Union offense that put it together. And and it, it's it's crazy because Baldwin Wallace had been slowing down the Mount Union offense all day. And to that to that point, you know, at the end of the game, uh, Mount Union finished with 175 yards rushing, 231 passing. But a lot of those those passing yards came on that on that final drive that Pilato led. And, and then spinning it forward for Baldwin Wallace, if they don't get into the playoffs, if they win uh, their their final game and finish eight and two, and and you know, Pool C settled down so much this week that there actually may be a chance for a two loss team to get in. But if they don't get in, they can you know look back to. The the fourteen eleven loss to Capital back in September and think man if we had if we had won that game we'd be sitting right now potentially it'd be a nine and one team that that lost to to the number two team in the country on a you know m- miraculous or whatever the word may be final drive and, and they would have a great they'd probably be one of the first teams in in, in Pool C and instead you know they have only themselves 
to blame for this loss because they they took the lead with 5:53 left, and then you know if they don't get in the playoffs, uh, they, they'll be kicking themselves for that that early season loss. Yeah, that is an absolute puzzler. Uh, it was then. Uh, it continues to be now, uh, even more so now. I believe that uh, I, I believe Massey ratings had this as, had that game as one of the uh, most unusual or, or biggest upsets of the uh, 2011 Division Three football season. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, you know, that, that tells you something when the computers see it as a big surprise and, you know, the, uh, those of us who look at it subjectively see it as a big surprise. Uh, tough break for Baldwin Wallace. They'll be with a, a, a large group of two lost teams now hoping um, that, that the, the field thins out a little bit here in week 11 and that, that somebody will have a chance to get in with those, uh, one of those six at-large bids. So uh, we mentioned no Jasper Collins. A.J. Claycomb had five catches for 93 yards. Uh, Chris Denton, seven for 111 and two touchdowns. And this is a guy who, uh, in a lot of respects, looks awfully familiar in a Mountain Union uniform. Yeah, I mean, Chris Denton, like Pierre uh, Garcon, transferred to Mount Union from Norwich, wears the number one, and obviously has the, the capability of going up and making huge plays in huge situations. Like, uh, having a, a catch, a game-winning touchdown catch, over two guys is something that uh, even at Mount Union, where they're used to success, that will sort of go down in in uh, in, in recent lore. Uh, that's a, that's a as big a regular season play as we've seen uh, at Mount Union in several years. And if you scroll down on the uh, podcast page here, you will see uh, the the uh, YouTube video playlist with a, a handful of D three reports and a bunch of uh, um, highlights from Division three football games this past weekend. Uh, the uh, Mount Union highlight video from Bald the Baldwin-Wallace game is one of them. I mentioned it's the Mountain Union highlight video. You won't see uh, Baldwin-Wallace uh, score its touchdown, for example. Um, but you will see the uh, the non-pass interference at the end of the game. As Mountain Union improves to 9-0, and Baldwin-Wallace falls to 7-2. and And I know we touched on it a little bit. Um, you know, Baldwin-Wallace entered the week, Keith, 8th uh, in the North Regional Rankings. Uh, Mountain Union... Franklin, Wabash, North Central all clinched automatic bids ahead of uh, Baldwin Wallace and the other teams in the North Region. So they're off the board. Um, you got to think about Case Western Reserve, uh, whether they get a uh, whether they get the only Pool B bid or not. Um, they would be in the Pool C consideration if they uh, if they're still on the board for sure. Um, Illinois Wesleyan, obviously, I would say remains ahead of Baldwin Wallace. Wheaton may well drop below them. Uh, Wittenberg would stay below them, and, and Albion probably out of the picture entirely. So Baldwin-Wallace at least has a shot to get to the table uh, once Illinois Wesleyan gets once Illinois gets selected. Yeah, and, and the real issue then becomes who are the other three teams from the other regions on the table at the time, and how does Baldwin-Wallace stack up against them? I, I think if, if you're a Baldwin-Wallace fan or if you're just a fan of the OAC in general and, and you want to see some some other things happen, you know, the first thing you do is you 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 become a big fan of of Huntington this week. Huntington plays Wesley. If they uh, knock Wesley off, then you know that that leaves Case Western to take that Pool B bid. That opens up a Pool C bid. I think the other big game that that's going to affect Pool C is uh, Delaware v Valley and Widener. Um, that game's at Delve Val. Widener's one loss team coming into undefeated um, Delaware Valley. If Widener wins that game, they'll clinch the MAC. Delaware Valley moves into Pool C, and they'll they'll have a real good chance at getting an at-large bid. If Del Val wins that game, Widener is a two-loss team, and then that opens up potentially another Pool C spot. So there is there is um, you know you you could almost tick off 
you know, four of the six teams right now. And, and there's a couple spots that are that are shaky, but, you know, might be opening up. And then, again, if Case Western Reserve is able to take that Pool B bid, if the DelVal-Widener game breaks the way a Pool C team wants, there could be a bunch of spots opening up. And then you have the 9-1 and one teams that haven't played the strong schedules, and then you have the, the two lost teams that have played the strong schedules. And uh, you never know which way the committee is going to go on those. Hey, you know, Keith, I'd throw one more uh, game in there as well. I'd, I'd talk about the uh, the Linfield-Lewis and Clark game, because if, if Lewis and Clark can pull off the upset against Linfield, they win the automatic bid in the Northwest Conference because of the head-to-head tiebreaker, and then, uh, and then Linfield would be a pretty good Pool C candidate as well. Absolutely. In fact, they're probably you know pretty close to automatic because they have a win uh, over Cal Lutheran, which is already in the field as an automatic qualifier from the Sky Act. So, yeah, Linfield is is probably in that same boat as DelVal. They're playing for the conference um, championship today and um, today this weekend coming up, and uh, DelVal and and Linfield both will be um, trying to win the AQ. But if they don't win it, they're almost automatic, I think, to get in as one loss teams. You know, um, so there was, this was finally our first opportunity to actually look at some regional rankings, and obviously the uh, uh, the the picture has changed because of uh, Saturday's results. But I I wanted to go back and, and look at some of the uh, the things that happened in these regional rankings that were kind of puzzlers, and maybe that um, even though we've talked a little bit about this on the blog and on Twitter and that sort of thing, just kind of uh, explain for the readers what might have happened, for example, in this now somewhat moot point, obviously, for example, St. Olaf being ranked ahead of Redlands. Uh, Olaf loses at St. John's on Saturday um, and, and is going to drop below them anyway, but it, it's hard to figure out why Redlands was ranked below St. Olaf in the first place. Yeah, you know the the strength of schedule number favored Redlands. Redlands had the uh, the win over North Central, which is a regionally ranked team, and, and um, you know pretty much just those two things. You know, you think were the were the main two factors. And Pat, as you speculated during the week, you know they may not have known for sure that that North Central was going to be regionally ranked. Although you you probably could make that assumption, but until you know, each re- each regional advisory committee does these rankings separately, and until they release the first national, you know, the first group of four rankings nationally, each committee is not privy to to what the other committees have ranked. So it's certainly possible that they weren't able to consider the the Redlands victory over North Central as a win over a regionally ranked opponent uh, at that point, and that's why that's the only thing we could come up with. Yeah, but and, it, and I guess the only thing that concerns me about that is. What are they doing on the national call then if they're not looking at all four regional rankings and trying to, uh, you know, um, uh, rectify and correlate some of these things? Because that national call has two members from each of those uh, four regional committees. uh, And you would think that those people would be able to act on this. Certainly the national committee, we understand, has overridden regional committee uh, recommendations before. This seems like a slam dunk. Uh, You know, that... um, in-region results were basically a wash, one loss each. Uh, the strength of schedule significantly favored Redlands. Uh, results against regionally ranked opponents significantly favored Redlands. I don't see what the issue was there. Yeah, and luckily for for the committee, they'll never have to explain it. We'll never have. We won't be digging into it again this week because it worked itself out. St. John's took care of that problem by by beating St. Olaf. But you know, perhaps it, it's just as simple as the, the committee makes mistakes in in this first regional ranking and it's almost you don't want to say it's a dry run because it's a serious thing that they should be taking seriously and it matters to a lot of teams out here but um in the end these things tend to work themselves out and and we're probably pretty fortunate as a group that that it did and that we don't have to go back down that road anything else in the regional rankings from last week uh we still need to talk about 
Well, I couldn't figure out why Case Western Reserve was ahead of Illinois Wesleyan. Uh, Case was another one of those teams that doesn't have a strong strength of schedule. Had a um, they, they, their losses was to a, you know to a team from New York, and maybe that there's the difference. They have the in-region record that's better than than Illinois Wesleyan's in-region record, but Illinois Wesleyan um, had favorable results against other other regionally ranked teams. Um, one and one against North Central and Wheaton, and I thought that that would possibly work itself out this week. All three of the uh, CCIW teams would probably um, jump ahead of, of Case Western Reserve, but that's another situation where Case may have the undefeated regional record, but they're not an undefeated team. So when they get to the board in the playoffs, uh, is the committee going to look at the entire picture, or are they just going to look at the the primary criteria? And that seems to change from committee to committee, region to region, and year to year. So uh, I'm not sure we ever really get an answer to that because it, it seems to uh, it seems to be different in 2010 than it is in 2009 and 2008 and 2007. And it's like trying to read tea leaves, basically, which is why uh, we don't get every playoff team every year when we're doing our uh, our predictions on Selection Sunday. That's one of the things that's coming up this week, of course. Um, by the time we have another podcast a week from uh, a week from now, uh, we'll know who's in the field. The uh, the 32 teams in the playoffs. That is uh, the selection show. Just as a reminder, is uh, streamed online at 6 p.m. Eastern time on Sunday. We'll have a link to it on d3football.com. Of course, uh, before that, we'll have uh, our projections. We'll tell you who we think is in the field or who should be in the field and where they could be playing. Um, and uh, you know, we'll we'll. Uh, Get a chance to uh, debate those all day on Sunday because this uh, selection show is the latest that I can uh, that I can remember for a Division Three football selection show. So um, you have plenty of time to talk about that uh, and and all the other things going on uh, coming up this week. Uh, it, it's a week, Keith, in which um, you know, we're going into it with a lot of things already decided, and not to say that you know things are permanently decided because you know. For example, this past week, uh, Thomas Moore and Albion, who had already clinched bids, uh, really hurt themselves in terms of playoff seeding. Um, so, you know, the the, uh, the teams that clinched this week have a lot to play for uh, coming up in week 11, those that have games remaining. Uh, but it seems like we have a lot of bids that have already been uh, locked up by this point in the season. Pat, I don't think we've ever seen this many at this point in time. 20 of 25 automatic bids are, are clinched. And, you know, we've never had 25 automatic bids before but we went back and, and looked uh, at the past few years last year 17 of 23 at this point two years ago 12 of 23 were uh, were clinched although we had two that were pretty much uh auto, you know in the books there there was a team that was about to win the championship playing a, a 0 and 9 or 1 and 8 team so that year 12 technically 14 you could make the case for and then in 08 it was 14 bids clinched so we've never seen quite this many 20 is uh is really uh, not only a giant number of, of of automatic teams to have in the field, you know, you got you got only twelve bids up in the air now at this point. But if if you look at it, we're so used to having week eleven be a week of great showdowns, you know, to follow up on a great week ten. And this week, we don't really have that many. You got the the four. There's five conferences up for grabs. Four of them with head to head games that will decide a playoff spot. And then you have the Liberty League. Yeah, uh, the uh, the MAC we've already talked about a little bit uh, with. Uh Delaware Valley hosting wider. Remember last year, I mean, this has become, I, I, you know, I don't get the sense of the feeling of what this rivalry is like on the ground per se. For example, I, I think I kind of picture Widener's uh, big rival being uh, 
Lyco, for example. But this is a this is a big game for uh, for Delaware Valley, and you know I I think for uh, for for Delval and Weiner, you can remember last year, uh, Delaware Valley was uh, was in the situation that, for example, uh, Thomas Moore was in this past week. They'd uh, they'd clinched. Uh, they just needed to win out to uh, maintain a high seed, and uh, Widener came up and bit them. And and that'll probably add a little bit to this week's game because not only are they playing for plenty this year, but but if you were on that team last season, and granted a lot of a lot of Delval's big players, uh, you know, graduated and moved on, but anybody associated with the program remembers you know that game from last season. Uh, technically, it's a rivalry game; it's got a trophy associated with it and a name, the Keystone Cup. And the two teams are pretty close to each other. Widener just outside of Philadelphia and, and DelVal uh, in Doylestown, which is about an hour north of Philadelphia. Um, so, I mean, it should be a game where both sides have have quite a few people in the stands. And these are the games that when you follow a team and, and you may be a little bit casual about how you follow, if it, a game like this, if you can get to it, if you, you're in driving distance, any, anyone, any any family of players, anybody who follows the program is coming this week because you got uh, the playoff spot on the line, potentially for Widener, definitely for DelVal. And, uh, you know, both teams could end up in the playoffs if, if Widener is able to replicate that that upset from last year. Uh, in the uh, in the Liberty League, uh, it's Hobart and Union. Uh, Union's already in the clubhouse. Their conference schedule is done at five and one. And, and Hobart, after having uh, coughed up its halftime lead to RPI on Saturday, uh, now needs to go to Rochester and win there in order to uh, win the automatic bid in that league. Yeah, and and, and winning at Rochester, especially coming off a, a surprising loss for Hobart, I don't want to say it's it's not too tall of a task. But if Hobart is as good as they were through the first six games this season. You know, they, they you go back to practice after a loss like that, and and you you're really focused. The coach is 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 not you know not letting you fool around at all. I take it any guff that week. You you're very serious, and for Hobart, basically, you know the the playoffs are already underway because if if they don't win this week, um, they go from having a great six and zero season, losing their final two games, and and their season is, you know. I want to say it's over, but they might probably make an ACAC game at that point. But, you know, everything you hope for, you have all this buildup through the first, you know, whatever, 10, 12 weeks from from the time you show up in the beginning of summer. And then you lose, you know, you, you can all be gone in eight days. So Hobart really has to be um, has to be focused for, for this game. Uh, they're playing for, you know, to, to clinch a playoff spot and they're coming off a season uh, that was subpar for them. So there really is a lot uh, riding on this game, I think, for the for the future of the program even. And, uh, you know, for Union, obviously just hoping for a little bit of help from their friends over at Rochester. Yeah, uh, University of Rochester playing for uh, a, a chance to finish with a winning season. Uh, they're 4-4. Four and four. Uh, it, it looks from the indications that I've seen that they didn't uh, file to play in an ECAC game, so they're not playing to remain eligible for that. But, um, you know, a chance to... Uh, basically finish second in the league because if they beat Hobart, they'd be tied with them, and you know that's a, a little something to hang their head on. And, and as I mentioned, to finish uh, over 500, to finish five and four overall. Uh, the NEFC, you know, we always know that uh, this uh, conference is always going to end up uh, being decided in week 11 because it's the only conference in Division Three that has 12 teams and therefore can play in two divisions with the title game. 16 teams even. And, yeah, um, right, but 12 is the minimum that you need, yeah. But you're right. Gotcha. Yep. Um, and yeah, the, the the I thought the interesting thing about this this SC title game is that, you know, up until a couple weeks ago, Endicott really looked like the team to beat. 
in uh, in that conference overall. And, and you know, Western New England was kind of hanging around behind them. Western New England turns around the upsets and the cotton. So now they're they're actually hosting the title game. They get a visit from Framingham State. And uh, I don't believe those two teams played earlier in the season, but there, there were quite a few teams at, at the top of that, uh, both divisions of, of that, that had a shot at this game. And so uh, it, it certainly makes it, you know, a, a standout. And, and I think the other real, um, you know, takeaway from this is that if um, Western New England wins this game and, and clinches the automatic bid to the playoffs, Endicott already has their, their nine and one season in the books and their, their loss is to Western New England. And so, you know, Western New England remains regionally ranked and the cop may have a good case for uh you know being a nine and one pool c team with that with that result on the board yeah it'll be interesting to see uh, i will know i guess uh if endicott uh, sneaks into the uh, regional rankings this week that'll be our our best indication as to whether they're even a candidate they were not regionally ranked this past week uh but suny maritime was in that 10 spot uh they lost to norwich for the uh, ecfc title game they'll surely drop out of the regional rankings and uh at three losses overall and in region i'm not sure norwich jumps in to replace them so it'll be interesting to see what happens there um we mentioned that uh, that St. John Fisher. Uh, we actually we didn't mention this, but St. John Fisher lost this week uh, to Salisbury. Uh, they were fourth in the East Region coming in. Uh, if they continue, to, if they they will fall, obviously. But if they stay above, you know, the uh, the spot where Endicott might slide in, then that is an indication that uh, Endicott's not really a, uh, a considered a a, a a threat to get an at-large bid because, as I mentioned, Endicott's in the clubhouse. They don't have another game this week. Also, uh, Lyco was tied for eighth in that regional ranking with Western New England. They might drop out, um, but if they stayed ahead of uh, Endicott as well, then that would uh, be yet another indication because certainly two two lost teams wouldn't get uh, Pool C bids unless you know uh, some other crazy things happen this week, which is certainly not out of the realm of possibility. We understand that. Um, we mentioned briefly the uh, the Northwest Conference. This is a game that uh, comes down to uh, Linfield and Lewis and Clark. And even though Lewis and Clark lost on Saturday, um, because they have uh, the team that they're trailing, uh, you know, on the schedule this upcoming week, they still have a chance to uh, play for the title and uh, get the automatic bid. Yeah, how how cool is that for Lewis and Clark? You know, we, we I think I went on and on about it last week. That that here's a program that you know not only was was on the brink of being eliminated but had a tough time getting things restarted and finally they make this big big surge and you know the the thing about last week is it, that was a good game for a little while and, and uh you know we thought for a minute there that that um you know Lewis and Clark was going to was going to hang with Willamette and it turned out to not not be the case at all Willamette wins 57 28 uh, 582 yards, and so you you have to wonder, you know, even though Lewis and Clark gained 500 yards themselves, you have to wonder will they be able to match up with with Linfield at all? I, I think the real challenge for for Linfield is to take the game seriously because so many seasons in that conference, Lewis and Clark has been an easy win. It's a tune-up game for for a team getting ready for the playoffs or just trying to finish out the season on a strong note. Uh, Linfield doesn't want to find itself, you know, in the third quarter, suddenly in a tight game. They, they need to take this game very seriously and, and remember everything they have riding on the line. And I thought they got a little bit of a reality check uh, this week. Well, that takes out my uh, response and one of my lightning round questions. So I'm out. That's exactly right. Uh, <laughs> Linfield's not going to need a wake-up call this week because they already just had one. And then we're left with the New Jersey Athletic Conference, which comes down to the teams that, uh, you know, 
about uh, a month and a half ago we thought it would. It just these teams didn't quite get here the same way that we thought they would, and it's uh, Kane and Montclair State, neither of them undefeated, but uh, tied atop the conference with a head-to-head -head game for it all. Yeah, and, and Kane traveling to Montclair State, that's that's even uh... – that's like the, like I was saying about Widener and DelVal. Anybody associated with these programs is going to be able to make it over to, to Upper Montclair for this game, and uh, it should be as exciting as it gets. I think in the end, Jack, you know, you got a couple of, of teams that have I think been been tough to figure out. You know, they've uh, Kane has played some high scoring games. They played some, def some tight defensive games. You know, their, their score against TCNJ is seven six. Their win over Rowan is thirteen six. But they showed they can put points on the board. You know, Kane's beaten. Beaten Wesley Kane really has the, has a handful of pretty big wins against in big games. You know, they've beaten Wesley, Cortland State, TCNJ, Rowan, all those teams. You know, uh, winning winning seasons so far, and then Montclair State. I think the same deal. You know, you even go back to the start of their schedule. Uh, Salve Regina, that's a seven win team now. Um, they played Cortland, they played TCNJ, they won at Rowan, and and they've had to pull out some of these some of these games in the end. You know, the Cortland State game was a one point game. They beat Rowan this week in overtime. So, if this gets to be a tight game, you know, it could be really one for the ages between uh, two programs that aren't too far from each other in, in that part of North Jersey. Uh, and of course, their their coaching staffs are very familiar with each other as well. Um, the Rowan uh, about that Rowan Montclair game. Rowan jumped out to a twenty one to nothing lead. Uh, in the first quarter, and then um, and then had to come back. They kicked a field goal as time expired at 18 yarder to uh, to tie the game, send it into the extra session. I mean, it, Montclair State almost didn't make it to this game. And and that's sort of been the the up and down nature of Montclair's entire season. You, you know, we go back to early September, I guess, and and there was a game where they had to survive a two point conversion. To, to hang on and beat Morrisville State, which is not a top team in the NJAC at all, you know. And and again, I mentioned that close finish against Cortland State. Montclair has, uh, you know, they lost a six-point game to TCNJ too, so they've they've been in their fair share of close battles. And uh, it, it's a, a probably as I don't want to say as inspiring a team as there is across the country, but you know, given that they lost their starting quarterback, you know, to injury, and they're still and they're still on the brink of of being a nine and one automatic qualifier playoff team conference champion it would be it would be a pretty impressive season and i think they're a pretty resilient team um but but who knows what's going to happen when they get together with kane 12 teams uh, clinched this week uh in, in addition to the eight who clinched in week nine um the uh the teams that went that uh, that got in this week keith um let's give a, a kind of a quick thumbs up thumbs down or a, an idea of how you think they're playing at this point in the season, and whether they're they're coming in on a roll? And I think we just might as well start with Mount Union. Well, I mean, they got to be riding high after beating Baldwin Wallace in the way they in the way they beat him. You know, with it was a, a drive in the last six minutes of the game. But I, I don't know if Mount Union is a, is as strong as they've been. You know, they're they're coming in um, with so many guys missing. You know, they didn't play with like you mentioned, Chaz Jordan, Jasper Collins, Neil Seaman. The other day, and, and they've been um, they've been struggling a little bit, but I think that that Baldwin Wallace win has a chance to really boost them as they head into the playoffs. Hampton Sydney uh, got its uh, revenge on Washington and Lee. They beat them uh, forty two thirty five for the ODAC title on Saturday. They're they're playing great. Um, they they had two receivers have great games on uh, on Saturday. The offense was clicking. You know they they opened up a twenty one point lead and they were able to build on it. So as WNL. Uh, got its, uh, you know, got its hot streak. Hampton Sydney just kept building on it. I think the only, you know, potential danger spot for them is is 
um, getting, you know, tripped up in this week's rivalry game against Randolph-Macon, which has proved to be a pretty good team itself. They'll, they'll be 6-2 and two going into the game, Hampton, or 7-2 and two going into the game, and Hampton City will be 8-1. and one. So Hampton City's got to get through this week first and then look forward to the playoffs. North Central uh, handled Wheaton on Saturday, and I have to think that, um, in my mind, this is one of the teams that could challenge to knock one of the Purple Powers out of the title game. Yeah, I don't know if there's a team that that's play has been playing better since uh, they lost their their opening game. You know, they're, the Wesley is probably right in that group too. You know, a team that uh, surprised us by losing early in the season, and then North Central. You know, they they ripped off a couple of, of huge scores. They scored seventy and eighty six, I think, in the following the two weeks following the loss. But I, I what's been surprising to me or, or impressive to me is that they they've shown the ability to win with defense. You know, they've, they shut out Illinois Wesleyan. They held Wheaton to seven points this past week. So if, if they get in, in a situation in the playoffs where they have to go to Wisconsin or Ohio or somewhere where it's cold, you know, and they've, they've played in those crazy snow games before. Um, if they get in that situation, they have to lean on their defense or if their offense is struggling, they've shown that they'll be able to hang in the game. And they've shown the ability to run the ball this season as well. Uh, another 274 yards on the ground on Saturday. And trying to figure out, um, you know, uh, who's a quarterback on this team and who's uh, a running back and who's running the Wildcat and whatever, uh, just by looking at the stats, you can't do it. Um, You've got, you got to watch them on video, and I tried to do a little bit of that on Saturday as there were a bunch of great games going on. Uh, I only caught a glimpse of it. Um, Salisbury defeating uh, St. John Fisher, uh, 41-21 to, to wrap up the Empire 8. You know, um, Obviously, Keith, uh, I could talk about this, but this is a team that you saw last week. Yeah, and they're, they're a thumbs up as well. I think you have to take the Wesley result with a grain of salt because when you have a, a, a team that relies on the triple option and um, you know that kind of precision offense the way that, that Salisbury does, if you've seen it as many times as Wesley's seen it, which is you know every season for the past however many years, Wesley has a good idea of what they're coming in defending, and Wesley's defensive players have, have, have seen it too. You know, So they're, they're not... Um, you're not trying to give them a crash course and how to stop the option in, in three days of practice or four days of practice. But that's what's going to happen when when Salisbury has to play a team in the playoffs, especially if they get a uh, you know pretty good home matchup, which looks like what they, they might be in line for in the East. Um, they, they're a type of team that could win a game, two, three games in the playoffs if they if they really get rolling. They, they've obliterated some pretty good teams this season. Mary Harden Baylor clinched the American Southwest Conference. They crushed Saul Ross on Saturday, 77-13, in a game in which uh, their starters basically uh, left the game early in the second quarter. Uh, uh, the Crusaders are really uh, firing on all cylinders right now. Yeah, I mean, so this is the fourth thumbs up in a row, right? But uh, well, we're starting with the teams that are at the top of the poll, pretty much too. So, but but they but they're they're I mean you. you can't say much more for a team than uh, you say about Mary Harden Baylor, as you mentioned, pulling starters out in the in the second quarter of that game, and would manage to build that lead all the way up. You know, build their their offensive total all the way up to seventy seven. But I think they're they're a team also in the, in the mold of North Central, where when they've had to play defense, they've been able to play it, and that bodes well for them going forward. Well, why don't I shuffle up my order a little bit? Let's talk about Dubuque, a team that uh, for the second time this season on Saturday gave up forty two points. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see them in the playoffs, or you'll probably be more likely to see them than I will since you're based out of the Midwest and I'm, I'm more mid-Atlantic. But um, they're, they're, they're a team that's going to put up some points against whoever they play in the playoffs, but they may be bounced in the first round. You just you have to be able to play some defense. And, and Dubuque really, um, in, in their biggest games, they haven't shown the ability to, to stop the other team. You know, you, you, 
it's not just this week's game. It's the uh, the Warburg game. And uh, I think, you know, Central put up points on them as well. Uh, although, you know, they, they here's their, their their big games this year. They beat Central 56-28. They, beat, they lost to Warburg uh, 42-39. And then at Coe 49-42. It's great to be able to score in the 40s. But when you play in the playoffs, other teams are going to be able to score as well. And, and uh, I mean, I think they're going into the playoffs riding high. But I think that that's a team that could, could have a quick visit to the playoffs if they can't, you know, figure out the defense. I think uh, one of the big things for them is where they fall, um, whether they get a four or a five seed. If they get a home game, uh, they'll be in somewhat better shape. But they're going to be in the middle of the bracket and in the West with the travel and the West Coast teams. You know, they could be a six playing a five or they could be a, a six playing a one. You know, the, um, both of those things, I think, have happened in the West bracket just in the past few years. So Dubuque could end up with almost anybody in the first round of the playoffs. Um, Pat, yeah. really quickly, that's why every game this weekend matters to everyone, because you know the Delval Widener game has an impact on on whether Mount Union gets moved to the east. And if Mount Union gets moved east, that means uh, maybe they can split up Linfield, St. Thomas, and Whitewater as terms number one seeds in the West. And a team like Dubuque could move up from a fifth seed road game to a fourth seed home game. So every game on Saturday, even though there's only those few showdowns, all, all could potentially impact the playoff field. Mount Union could well get moved to the east regardless of whether Delaware Valley wins as well. We uh, just have no real way of knowing that one way or the other. Um, Wabash, uh, I watched the first half of this game um, because it started uh, because it started relatively... Eh, I didn't start early. I watched the first half of Salisbury, then I switched to this game, and it was, uh, it was, a, it was a whitewash in the first half. It was 21 nothing at the half when I switched away. Yeah, I mean, I, I've given these guys heck for uh you know for not playing anybody good for for you know six seven weeks now and and you know the win against allegheny i think was finally they had to struggle a little bit to beat somebody this was probably you know their best game of the season because it came against uh you know the, the probably the strongest opponent and they they won you know without too much trouble they got a big lead but then they were able to play enough defense you know to to protect that lead Witt, wittenberg um you know, only scored really 10 of those points on offense because the, the last touchdown in that game came on, uh, I think, a, it was a high snap on a fumble, and Wittenberg picked it up, ran it back for a touchdown in the fourth quarter. But other than that, uh, you know, Bash was able to, to, to pretty well handle that that offense, and Wittenberg has been a high-powered passing offense most of the season, and uh, they really weren't on uh, on Saturday. As a, as a, as a two-seed in the north, uh, they could face somebody like Benedictine or Albion, uh, Albion could still go to Mount Union. They could both be placed in the same bracket, whether that's with North teams or with East teams, uh, that sort of thing. But, uh, Wabash could face a, a pretty uh, a pretty favorable first-round uh, opponent at home if they win the Monon Bell game on Saturday, which I know is <coughs> all anybody uh, there is focused on and, and possibly all anybody in uh, Greencastle, Indiana, has been focused on for about six weeks since, uh, since, that, uh, since the pause season went south a little bit. Uh, Trinity, Texas. I mentioned uh, they defeated Center for the uh, SCAC title, and I know you got to watch a little bit of that game. Yeah, and I thought the impressive thing about that is that you know they held this high-powered Center team. You know that that in it's a, some of its other big clashes. You know they put up 45 points on on Birmingham Southern, and then uh, you know they held them to 14 points. And then the great part about it was in the clutch. You know Center is driving down the field with a chance to win the game. They're down by six, so they have to go for the end zone, and they took. Uh, they got to about the 32 and, and had maybe, you know, 
I don't I don't remember how many shots, but it wasn't just one play that Trinity had to stop. Trinity had to stop them over and over again. And uh, that, I think that builds a lot of confidence for a defense. And this is a team that had, had sort of built its identity around defense in some years. Uh, lost a little bit of that at least last season and, and really has it back this year. They're playing great defense. And I, I think when you go into the playoffs and you start seeing these high-powered offenses, that it's great to be able to have a defense to lean on. You know, um, so center uh, bypasses a, a 36-yard field goal with the wind at its back uh, earlier in the uh, early in the fourth quarter. So it, instead of having a, a chance to kick a field goal and tie that game at the end, they had to go for the end zone. And, and that was a real big deal because – they they had gotten to the thirty two with you know I I would say fifty five seconds left something like that in the game and I know I'm uh, I shouldn't be doing this all off top but it was enough time where if they'd gotten to the thirty two and they only needed to get three points they could have ran the ball a few times centered it you know got it to the no pun intended yeah. got it maybe to the twenty five or something or or the twenty and and then kicked a, a reasonable length field goal to tie the game going to overtime and who knows what happens in overtime. But instead, they're taking their chances, and, and that almost worked out for them because they had a couple shots into the end zone. Um, but you know, one of them was broken up with double coverage by Trinity. So he, Trinity really earned it on defense, but center had a shot to win that game. The the thing I think that that stands out for them is is the loss is going to hurt them. You know, you never want to always want that automatic qualifier. Everything is a crapshoot in Pool C, but I think center's in really good shape. Uh, looking, you know, l- looking ahead because you got. I think Redlands, Illinois, Wesleyan, and Center are probably three of the, the teams with the strongest resumes in terms of getting in. The the, the big deal on Saturday is um, Center didn't get any help from Washington Lee. Or from you know, that, Louisiana that, College. Right, teams that they've, they've – well, I was thinking, you know, just in terms of teams that they beat that would that would stay in the regional rankings. You know, you, Washington Lee may, dra- may drop out at this point, whereas Redlands got that help that they needed from North Central. Well, center will still be able to at least count Washington and Lee as a win against a regionally ranked team because it's one rank, once ranked, always ranked. Um, but it, uh, you know, it looks better to be, uh, you know, to have a win against a team that say might be the number seven team in the regional rankings, which WNL could have been if they'd beaten Hampton Sydney, uh, rather than a team that was once number ten and has since dropped out. Um, you know, center remains uh, or started the week behind McMurray in the regional rankings uh, in the South, uh, meaning McMurray would be uh, would get first crack at getting an at-large bid ahead of center, uh, and I don't see any reason for that to change with McMurray getting a win against a regionally ranked opponent on the road, and and center uh, taking its first loss of the season. Uh, let's talk about Franklin. Uh, Franklin is a team that um, you know had the uh, big loss early in the season against Wisconsin Whitewater and has done nothing but win since. Yeah, and you really have almost no idea what to make of them because they're they're one big test. You know, they they got blown out, and then they haven't really been challenged in any other game since. That's a team that I think it maybe depends what kind of matchup they get in the first round, and um, you know, you, who knows what what kind of team they are because you know you just can't get a feel for what a playoff game is going to be like. When you when you win at Bluffton or or you, you know you beat Manchester twenty seven fourteen you you know who, who knows what that means for when they have to play Wabash or or, or you know some one of the other teams that's going to be in the playoffs in the north. Yeah, for example, I, I wouldn't favor them against Illinois Wesleyan uh, if if that's a team they end up with. Uh, the uh, actually the D three hoops D three hoops the D three football dot com top twenty five wouldn't uh, favor them in that game either necessarily. So we'll move on to uh, Christopher Newport, which uh, won the USA South by uh, winning fairly handily at Ferrum. And the, you know the the 
neat thing about Christopher Newport's story is, you know, three, three interceptions on Saturday, he won that game going away. And it's sort of the same thing every year for Christopher Newport, but, it, but to a, to a greater degree, maybe this year than, than it's ever been in the past. They started off, I, I thought the program was sort of finished, you know, and they were one and two They're, They have, there was a time when that was like automatic. They would win the, the USA South and it's, it's grown to where every year it's competitive every year, you know, North Carolina, Wesley and or Farum or somebody else is in the mix, but somehow Christopher Newport always seems to, uh, to, to uh, pull the, pull it out. And now looking back, at some of their results, obviously the loss to Stevenson still stands out, but the you know staying close to Salisbury was was a pretty big um, deal for them. You know, beating Waynesburg was it was back in their first game, and it was kind of a, a result that we ignored at the time. Twelve seven uh, wasn't too didn't stand out much one way or the other. But you know, with Waynesburg pulling off the big upset this week, you you look back at, at what Christopher Newport has done, their body of work over the season, and it really looks a lot better now that we have all the uh, data in. Uh, it looks better now than it did, you know, as those things were happening. This will be the uh, eighth time in the 11 years of Christopher Newport football that uh, the captains will be going to the NCAA playoffs, but it's the first time since 2004 that they've gone in back-to-back -back seasons, which uh, speaks to the increased competitiveness at the top of the USA South. Uh, we're down to uh, some of the uh, uh, some of the bottom five conferences or so in Division III. Uh, Benedictine really struggled, actually, against Rockford, which has lost 20 consecutive games that they did... Uh, go on to win that game and win the Northern Athletics Conference. And then uh, Norwich defeated SUNY Maritime to win the ECFC, and that's the first automatic bid uh, for that conference. And and that's, you know, an exciting moment for the team. I think for both of these teams, um, you know, the big moment is winning the conference and beating, beating your rivals because when you get in um, – you know, Norwich is a team that lost to Hartwick earlier in the season. You know that that loses to you know middle middle level, lower rung teams from from fairly strong conferences. They're going to get a tough matchup in the first round. Benedictine's going to go on the road. Norwich is going to go on the road. They will have to pull, you know, really one of the upsets for the ages. And we've seen you know unexpected results happen in the playoffs. And I you know I'm not saying it's impossible, but they're going to, they're going to be really, they're going to get tough matchups and it really depends what, what kind of matchup they get. You know, if Norwich, for instance, gets sent to Western New England, I think they already played actually earlier in the season. Right. And I don't see that being a possibility, to be honest with you. Right. But I mean, that would be the type of game they can win, but, but otherwise, you know, you just don't see them having a lot of success in the playoffs. Yeah. This is a, a team that's likely to be, I think both of them, are, are teams that are likely to be uh, eight seeds or seven seeds in the in their playoff brackets. Uh, Norwich, I guess, has to uh, be thankful that it um, that it's more than 500 miles away from Mount Union, so at least they won't <laughs> be sent there in the first round. Uh, and that's uh, those are the teams that uh, clinched. Uh, you know, the teams that clinched the previous week. Um, you know, a couple of them struggled on Saturday, but we kind of, I guess, in the case of Thomas Moore, for example, uh, this is maybe the I don't know. In a sense, it's a market correction. I I, I looked at them uh, when I when I opened up last week's ballot to uh, to go and, and cast my vote this week for the D3Football.com top twenty-five, and I realized I didn't really have to uh, drop Thomas Moore very far because they were already about in the spot where uh, they ended up this week. Well, I you know I I couldn't keep them from from creeping up because they kept on winning, but you know we're we're not down in Thomas Moore just to down them, you know. Wabash, I was questioning because they just hadn't really beaten anybody impressive. Thomas Moore, um, they had, they really hadn't had a, a lot of impressive games because the pack is down this year. 
you know, the, the next best team in the conference is, is Waynesburg. They're five and three. St. Vincent, five and four. W&J certainly at five and four, four and three in the conference is, is way down. And then you look at, at Thomas Moore, they, you know, struggled to win a couple of those games. They only beat uh, St. Vincent by three. And that's a game, if you ask people in the St. Vincent program, they, they thought they should have won that game. Um, you know, they, they, we kind of saw, they, they beat WJ by three as well. And we sort of saw this coming for Thomas Moore and it's, um, you know, now, now they turn around, they play the bridge bowl. That'll be one that they won't have any trouble getting up for that because it's a nice little rivalry. They got building with Mount St. Joseph finished the regular season, you know, potentially on a strong note for them. They're in a real interesting spot. I think geography wise, as far as the playoffs go, you know, they're, they, they would be one of the teams that I give a thumbs down to going into the playoffs. Cause they're not playing that, that well, but they could get, you know, just depending on what kind of matchup they get, um, they could be grouped with a South team. They could play center, you know, it's another team in, in, in Kentucky, or they could be in the North and they could get sent. I, I doubt they will be low enough C to get sent to Mount union, but, but Wabash um, maybe. Yeah. You know, because yeah. And, and, you know, Kentucky and Indiana, we don't think of those, Two, two states as like states, but that's uh, well within the, the 500 miles. Uh, it's certainly a possibility. And uh, that's the difference between, you know, losing this game to Waynesburg and, and you know, maybe winning these last two games, finishing 10-0. and You get to play a game at home uh, in Crestview Hills and enjoy your home crowd and sleep in your own bed and all that stuff. And instead, you go on the road. And, and to be honest, some coaches actually like that. Um, you know, because you, you, you get the team away from all the distractions, but uh, everybody loves playing on their home field in the playoffs. Uh, and then Albion, which had uh, wrapped up the automatic bid because they had uh, they had a non-conference game this week, and then they were basically two games ahead of everybody else uh, that they'd already played um, in the uh, in the MIAA. So Albion uh, loses to DePaul. DePaul gets to 500, which is... Uh, almost unthinkable considering where they were a few weeks ago. But Albion is in a position where they were already kind of behind the eight ball as to who they were going to have to play in the first round to begin with. Uh, and now, yeah, I, I really think Mount Union is a, a strong possibility for them in the first round, regardless of what bracket it's in. Yeah, it, it's it's going to be tough for them. And, and, you know, geographically, Michigan is in a spot where they could get sent, right, in, in uh, one of either directions, but they, they're going to get, they're going to be playing a one seed uh, on the road, most likely, maybe a, maybe a two seed if they're lucky. Um, but yeah, when you have you, you know you have four losses, you can't complain. You should be glad to be in the playoffs. They're actually in a situation where I, I'm not sure they they don't lose again this week. You know they they um, yeah. they host Trine or they or they go to Trine. Uh, I thought I, I, I thought I, I thought I written it down specifically so I could reference it. But in, in any case, they play Trine this weekend, and it's it's a um, you know that, that that's the team that's been the class of the conference for the past three or four years. So that's not an automatic win by any means for Albion. They they really need to uh, to get it corrected going into the playoffs because they're they're going to have a tough matchup as it is, and you want to be playing well going in. They do host Trine, and I would have to think that yeah, Trine hasn't lost uh, hasn't lost three games in a season uh, since their run began, and I don't think they uh, want it to happen this year to be sure. Um, and. Uh, I agree. There, it probably be a little bit tough to beat. And then a uh, another kind of market correction, uh, and it, it probably uh, I would have to say knocks Wheaton out of the playoffs, or at least uh, puts them uh, with this list of two lost teams, uh, which is is pretty large and doesn't usually put a team into the playoffs. Yeah, and and you know I guess the I was just really starting to to, to buy into Wheaton 
because um, a lot of their wins had, start, had started to look a little better. You know, they beat uh, Platteville, turned out to be a good team. Albion was their, their season opener, and that was a 20-point win. It wasn't that impressive at the time, but, you know, Albion turned around, and, and they were the, the conference champion. And uh, and then you say, well, you know, they only lost to Illinois Wesleyan by five. They had a chance to win that game. Maybe they're not as, as bad as you think. And then they, they you know, go into North Central, and, and, and North Central just does whatever they want in that game. I mean, 33-7, you know, it, it wasn't – I don't think it was it was terribly close. Uh, North Central controlled the ball for 34 some odd minutes in that game. So it, it was um, a little bit of a market correction, like we said on Wheaton. First of all, you know, the thing that I'd been griping about, and I'm sure that's why you put it on the list, is is that they were ranked <laughs> they were ranked ahead of, of Illinois Wesleyan, a team they'd already lost to. And uh, so, so yeah, now the poll has at least uh, settled that and, uh, you, know, you know, put Illinois Wesleyan where it belongs, ahead of a team it already beat. Where's your love for St. Olaf then, Keith? Uh, you know, I don't, I'm not as, as impressed with them, I guess. It's it certainly, uh, you know, they they, they, a big loss to St. Thomas and then you turn around and lose to St. John's, you know, they're, they're, uh, I didn't vote for them in the top 25 this week and I didn't vote for Bethel either. Those are two teams that at, at points during the season, I was very impressed with both of those teams and, and, and it just, um, I, it's just one of those years, I guess, in, in the Mayak where you have St. Thomas so high up. Uh, you know, already in, in the clubhouse pad, as you would say, um, at 10-0. and 0. And then the other four, you know, maybe four other teams, if, if you throw Concordia, Moorhead, and Augsburg in there, um, that are all, you know, six-win type of teams fighting for uh, that, that kind of respect, uh, you know, knocking each other off. And that's why you only have really the one strong team in, in the Mayak this year. We mentioned the uh, the five games or, or the five conferences that are uh, are still up for grabs, the five games that will decide automatic bids on Saturday. Of, of course, uh, Week 11 is also a, a big time for rivalry games as well as we uh, start to look ahead uh, to the, the other games coming up uh, in this final week of the uh, Division Three regular season. Um, you know, For example, uh, I mentioned the, the Monon Bell game, uh, but that's for those, for the uninitiated, that's between Wabash and DePauw. Uh, DePauw fans and players are certainly, I would have to think, still smarting from uh, last year's 47 to nothing uh, shutout loss uh, to Wabash in the in that game last year. Yeah, and and I think this is the this one really sets up um, for the old cliche: you throw the records out the window, whatever the case may be. You know, one of these big rivalry games, you got um, undefeated Amherst going to Williams. You have Hampton Sydney's already clinched the AQ going to Randolph Macon, and you have wabash that's both undefeated and has already clinched the aq going to DePaul. i think one of these games sets up for for the old throw the throughout the record books upset yeah next year of course as a reminder uh the north coast athletic conference finally admits uh DePaul into its football schedule so this will be a conference game as well and it will be uh it will remain the last game of the of the regular season on uh, on both teams schedules so maybe at some point in the future uh this game cont- contains a uh a uh, conference championship implications as well as if that game needed to get any bigger. Right. I mean, it, it, I think between Amherst and Williams and that, the, the two biggest games, and that's just judging by the way the, the alumni speak about the games. And there are certainly ones that are, that are really high up. I mean, I think the Cortica Jug game is, 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 you know, taken very seriously by, uh, by the alums and the, the current players at, uh, at Cortland State and Ithaca, and especially in a year like this where neither of them is going to make the playoffs, you know, that's what you want. You want to take that into your offseason, winning the rivalry game. Uh, you know, Randolph-Macon-Hampton City is huge. 
the Johnny Tommy games, huge Secretary's Cup is huge. And, and there are a couple other ones th- this week that, um, you know, tend to be pretty big, um, but but haven't had a whole lot riding on them in, in recent years. And, and uh, we almost had a great victory bell game when Hanover was in the race um for, for the heartland title but uh but they lost this week so franklin and, and hanover just playing each other for pride and uh cohen cornell is another one that would be a little better if uh if the teams were more equal in, in certain years but cornell's been been kind of down on its luck so I, I think you got the you know the three huge rivalry games or and, and then Cortland state ithaca and then you know maybe like a muhlenberg moravian or something like that in there as well uh so uh in that cortica jug game uh Ithaca is uh, four and five. They're now playing to try to maintain their streak of non-losing seasons rather than a a forty-year streak of winning seasons. Uh, and uh, Cortland State is uh, seven and two. That's another throw the records out game. Um, especially, I, I think, uh, it. I think it's fair to say over the past decade or so that Ithaca has uh, has outperformed uh, Cortland State's record. Uh, I. In, in those games. I didn't quite get the wording correct, but hopefully you guys understand what I'm trying to say. Uh, Cornell and Co., you know, uh, Cornell, this is their last season in the Iowa Conference. Uh, Cornell and Co. came over to the Iowa Conference from the Midwest Conference yep. in the uh, in the mid to late 90s. Uh, so they stayed together. This, that rivalry had been maintained, and now they're going to be splitting into separate conferences, and I actually don't know what the team's schedules look like for next year. I know that... Um, uh, that the Midwest Conference will still be playing nine conference games and one non-conference game, except for one team that has to play all ten. If you remember what the MAC schedule was like uh, back when it was eleven teams, uh, this is going to be a similar situation. Um, they will play almost everybody, but not quite, and hope that they uh, don't have two tied teams at the top of the conference that haven't played each other. Um, and then uh, you mentioned um, you mentioned Franklin and uh, Hanover. Of course, yeah, it's not um, it's it's pride for Hanover and it's playoff seating for Franklin. Uh, Moravian Muhlenberg, you know, uh, teams, uh, you know, again, finally back in the same conference again in the Centennial. Uh, Moravians kind of struggled this season. And remember, you know, kind of going back to the beginning of the season too, Keith, uh, in that um, you know Moravian. Uh, working with a new head coach because uh, Scott Dapp stepped down at the, uh, before, shortly before the season started. Yeah. And, and, and sometimes that can be a real difficult situation. You know, I, I went, I went through that um, where we, we lost a coach. We didn't hire a guy till July 15th, you know, end up having a real talented team and, and we did okay, but it's a tough situation to come in and adjust on the fly because the new coach, uh, even if he comes from within the program, he can't put a stamp on it until maybe that second season uh, where he has the first off season to, you know, set the offense and defense, how he wants recruit the kids that he wants and all that stuff. So uh, that's, that's part of it. And, and, from from Moravian, they would love that would salvage everything you know that's gone wrong this season. You beat your rival, and and, and all of a sudden uh, you go into the offseason feeling good. Um, we mentioned the Bridge Bowl. I guess there's also the Regents Cup uh, between Salisbury and Frostburg. Uh, I mean, I'm not sure if there's anything else uh, that I'm necessarily missing here. Well, well, as far as far as ones that take place on the last week of the right. season, and, yeah. and that's um, you know, there, there's there's rivalry games sprinkled throughout the entire season and through varying degrees of importance, but but yeah, you know, you hit the big ones. The, the Regents Cup could be actually kind of interesting because um, as good as Salisbury has been, you know, Frostburg ha- has been that much down. You know, this is really their their first season where they've um, they've they've been kind of impressive. Those two teams, you know, you mentioned teams moving conferences and sticking together. Uh, Frostburg and, and Salisbury moved 
together to the Empire Eight this season, and, and Frostburg's acquitted itself pretty well. Frostburg four and five after the win against uh, Hartwick on Saturday. They uh, are where are we? Three and three in the uh, Empire Eight. Two two full games. Two full games ahead of ahead of Ithaca. Uh, that's just uh, still a, a kind of a, a, a puzzler to wrap my head around. Uh, and then uh, a couple of shout-outs to other things that did happen this past weekend, one of which was in a, a rivalry game, the bronze-turkey game, in which uh, Alex Tanney of Monmouth uh, passed uh, for his second uh, Division Three career, career record in as many weeks. He passed uh, Josh Vogelbach's record for uh, career Division Three passing. So he is now the all-time leading passer in uh, Division Three football history and the all-time leading uh, touchdown passer in NCAA football history, at least for now, until that guy from the University of Houston gets another couple games under his belt. <laughs> and um, and then of course uh, to uh, you know um, the the other record, the national record being set this weekend, Kyle McGivney uh, of Luther uh, passing the uh, career tackles mark. He's a starting linebacker for Luther, uh, and he uh, is now the all-time Division Three career tackles leader and you know and, and as far as tackles go those one of those stats that seems like it's scored differently from from press box to press box but anybody who's involved in, in that many tackles certainly had a, a pretty good career the thing i'm pretty excited about as far as the record setting guys go is uh we get to see all three of the big uh offensive record setters in the playoffs that's right uh we're talking about uh mike zwiefel of dubuque uh, Alex Tanney, and I guess we're putting uh, putting Coppage in that, although he doesn't have any national records yet. He still could. He went over 7,000 yards on Saturday, and it's not mathematically impossible to catch Nate Kamick if he does play uh, all the way through to the Stag Bowl. True, and at, at the very least, he did become the, the YX all-time leading rusher um, this season. So he set some kind of record, but you're right, you're right, not in the same stratosphere as uh, as Mike Zwiefel and uh, Alex Tanney so far. We're bringing in this podcast right uh just a little bit over an hour, so uh, we'll, uh, we'll we'll wrap it up here. Uh, remind you, uh, other things coming up this week on D3Football.com. It's a particularly busy week because uh, we got, well, you know, just one week left of games, and they're they're kind of important. And there's some bracket thing coming out uh, in just about a week from now. But uh, this is the Around the Nation podcast. Um, you'll see uh, D3 reports if there's someone out there who hasn't sent us one and did one. Uh, and you were actually at the game. That's an important detail. Um, you know, get it to us because we don't have very many right now. Uh, Play of the week nominations. We need nominations by 5 p.m. Eastern time on Mondays, and then our uh, our voting panel looks at them over Monday night, and we uh, uh, name that on Tuesday morning. Play of the week sponsored by the City of Salem, hosts of Stag Bowl 39. Uh, on Tuesday afternoons, we start with around the region. Uh, columns and then around the nation on Thursday. Regional rankings come out Wednesday afternoon, sandwiched in there. Uh, triple take with our predictions on Friday. The final week of games on Saturday. Our predictions for the brackets Saturday night. Uh, lots of weeping and gnashing of teeth and complaints on Sunday afternoon. And then after the selection show, which is at 6 p.m. Eastern on Sunday, even more uh, weeping and gnashing of teeth. So that is your week ahead in Division Three football. And if, if somehow your Division Three football season is done, uh, first of all, thank you for tuning in. Stick around because uh, the playoffs are pretty interesting, especially these first couple weeks where things happen fast and furious. Um, and then uh, don't forget to check out d3hoops.com. Uh, I assume that your school has a basketball program, uh, unless you're Massachusetts Maritime. I think that's the only school that has football but doesn't have basketball. And then uh, also 
if you're especially in particular parts of the country, check out our new site, d3hockey.com, where we uh, cover men's and women's ice hockey. I know that's only about 115 programs or so, but the places where they play uh, Division Three hockey, uh, hockey is uh, pretty intense. And uh, we have a great team of people covering hockey. Uh, they're going to be doing a podcast. Uh, hopefully they'll reference us because, you know, uh, I don't know if anybody's ever heard of d3football.com. So he's Keith McMillan. I'm Pat Coleman, and that is the Around the Nation podcast for the week of Monday, November 7th, 2011.